Wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Thanks for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please share this and other episodes so that others can hear about the light breaking through darkness. Find links at bleedingdaylight.net to our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter accounts. Today's guest believes that the truth is out there. More than that, he passionately believes that you can handle the truth. Today, we'll discuss where you can find that truth. In a world that offers so many options, opportunities and directions, how do we know which direction to take? We hear so often that we need to be true to ourselves and find our own truth, but is there a way to discern a universal truth? Pastor, author, conference speaker and Bible teacher Chad Mansbridge believes that we can find our way to discovering real answers. His latest book, You Can Handle the Truth, puts the keys to understanding ancient sacred writings into the hands of 21st century people. He strongly believes that there is a universal supreme being who set this world in motion, who desires to communicate with us. Chad is my guest today. Thank you so much for your time. Well, good day, Rodney. No problems at all, mate. Thanks for having me. Before we jump into some of the very big issues that we are going to discuss, let's find out a little bit more about you. Take me back 20 years and tell me about the Chad that I would have met all those years ago. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. Well, 20 years ago, I was 23 years of age. So that's a very kind way of asking my age, Rodney. So well, we're all done there. 23 years of age, I was married with my wife and I had just had our firstborn child. And in February 2002, we were at a bit of a crossroads in our life. Uh, recently married, I was working in retail at the time. But I very much had a sense of a uh, ministry call on my life. And by ministry, I'm effectively mean uh, a sense to lead God's people, preach God's word or teach the scripture, and maybe even to be a leader in a in a local church type of environment. And so we were asking God to speak to us on that because I also had another career path that I could have gone down. We're really at a crossroads. We took a two-week holiday uh, after the summer retail season and uh, asked God to speak to us. And in that second week of our holiday, which was uh, mid-February 2002, God spoke to us really clearly and said that the next phase of your life at 23 years of age is to lead a church and to actually be the lead pastor or the senior pastor of a church. And God, over the next few months, basically directed us to plant a church, to start a church from scratch. So that's what we did 20 years ago. My wife and I, at 23 years of age, planted a church with our baby boy. So we are now celebrating our 20th year as a church, as pastors of a church this year. And I guess one of the reasons that I wanted to go back that 20 years is that that really goes to the heart of this issue. Back when you were 23, you say that you clearly heard God speaking to you. Now, I know people that have been people of faith for many, many years, and they're still trying to discover, how do we actually hear God speak to us? Is it just, oh, well, this is what's popped into my imagination, therefore it must be God? What are the ways in which God spoke to you way back then? I often like to describe God as being multilingual. There are many ways that God speaks, many languages, uh, as it were, that God speaks. And I don't even mean human languages. I just mean there are various methods and mechanisms that he uses to communicate his will to people. So for us back then, 
the first uh, impetus or the very uh, clear direction actually came from what, in my church tradition at least, we would call a prophetic word or a, or a prophecy. Uh, essentially, that's where somebody who barely knew us looked at me in a crowded room, 600 leaders in a room at a conference, and said, young man, please stand up. I'm feeling like God's saying to you that he wants you to lead a church or plant a church and that it's imminent. It's not something in the distant future. I found yourself at times saying, oh, yeah, maybe one day I'll do that when we're a little bit older. And this gentleman said, no, I feel like God's saying to you it is imminent. That is uh, what God wants you to do in the next step of your life. And he had no idea that we were literally that week, as I explained earlier, in a crossroads of our life where we were asking God to speak to us. And there in a crowded room, a man who I said barely knew us, he he wasn't uh, the pastor of the church, he was actually a visiting speaker from America, spoke that to me. And so that very much got my attention, as as you would imagine. But I didn't just go on that one thing. We then spoke to very close friends of ours and pastor friends of ours in our church who did know us. And we said, listen, We feel that God may be saying this to us. How does that sound to you? We bounced it off them. We said, what's your perspective on that? Do you think we are hearing God? And we got their counsel and advice. And of course, we would not have ever planted a church had that not have sat with us in our hearts or in our spirits personally. Over the years, we've learned that there are many ways that God speaks. The Lord is my shepherd. He is committed to leading and guiding and speaking to his people. And we need to, in my opinion, be open to various ways that he is open to speaking to us. That way that you're talking about God speaking through a prophetic word that someone brings, we know that there are some elements of the Christian faith who would be a little bit wary of that. And maybe that's because we've heard of prophecies that aren't really on the money. How do we actually discern the real voices and the false voices? Well, there's a principle in the Bible and it's introduced to us by Moses. Uh, Moses is one of the first leaders of God's people in history, in in the history of God's covenant people. And the first five books of the Bible primarily speak of him. And one of the things that he did is he gave the ancient nation of Israel their legal code. This is how you are to operate as a society. And one of the rules in that legal code was something that we can call today the principle of two or three witnesses. He said, listen, if there's a criminal charge brought against someone, don't execute a judgment in that criminal charge, and especially if it's a serious charge that deserves or warrants a serious consequence like the death penalty. I mean, we might be a little bit uh, nervous with that today, but in ancient cultures, the death penalty was very standard, okay? And God said to him, listen, don't entertain a charge unless there are two or three witnesses that agree on the matter. You need to establish the case in the presence of two or three witnesses. And this system has basically come through in our Western system of both the legal system and also the scientific method. Scientists don't reach a conclusion, particularly if it's a serious matter, unless there is a sense of consensus over two or three things. This all adds up. It's consistent. Truth, after all, is consistent. And so there's a principle here of establishing things in the presence of two or three witnesses. Well, that principle is echoed by Jesus in the Gospels by the time we get to the first century scriptures and also the Apostle Paul who adopts that principle and applies it in the Christian life and says, listen, 
Two or three witnesses must agree when it comes to serious matters. And so here's my answer to your question, Rodney. (laughs) When it comes to a serious matter in life, my direction, I feel like God's saying something to me. It's pretty significant. Okay, it's not just like a little decision. This is a major decision. My advice to people is that same principle. It's a three and a half thousand year old principle in the scripture, the principle of two or three witnesses. When it comes to understanding the Bible, the same principle applies. I say, listen, sometimes we read the scriptures and we can come to very different conclusions. Or you might come across a verse that leads you to believe something that might seem a little peculiar. And I say, back, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Before you reach a conclusion on any biblical issue or any major life issue, don't just go on one verse found here or there, okay? Make sure truth is consistent, corroborate your content, and compare scripture with scripture. Find two or three witnesses that agree, particularly before reaching a serious conclusion. And this is really a a general principle in hearing God on all things. I often say to my church, there are three major ways that God is committed to guiding his people. I said before, God is multilingual, but there are three major mechanisms that God uses to guide us. And they're simply these. Number one, the scriptures. God uses the Bible to speak to us. We must be a people of the word. God will speak to you through the Bible, the scriptures. Number two, the saints. God puts people in our lives, saints, other Christians, other believers that can speak and grant wisdom to our life. God uh, has not left us to walk the Christian life on our own. He's put us in community. And so draw on the wisdom of other people that he's put in your life. The scriptures, the saints, and thirdly, the spirituals. The spirituals. God uses spiritual mechanisms and means to communicate to us. And as you mentioned before, Rodney, some people, depending on their church background, are a little bit more nervous in that space when it comes to the Holy Spirit said. But listen, whether it's an inner peace, whether it's a gentle voice, whether it's an overt vision or dream or, dare I say, angelic encounter, okay, or a word of wisdom or prophecy out of the blue, all these are spirituals. Paul talks about this in in his uh, letter to the Corinthians, chapter 14. These are spiritual gifts, spiritual manifestations that God uses to guide us. And so the scriptures, the saints, And the spirituals, if you are seeking God and wanting to hear God's voice on something, I'd encourage you to find two or three witnesses that line up before you make a significant decision. Hey, just as a bit of a tangent before we move on, you mentioned the word saints. Now, that has different meanings for for different people of different traditions within the Christian church. So for some, when we're talking saints, that is someone who has performed a number of miracles, they've done this, they've done that, and then there's a body that gets together and decides, yes, we're going to call them a saint. In your mind, what is a saint? The word saint actually is a really common term in the New Testament letters, and particularly with the Apostle Paul. He's responsible for writing most of what we call the New Testament or the first century scriptures, and he uses the word saint to address everyday normal Christians. When he writes to the Christian churches, he calls them saints. And essentially, the the New Testament or the first century language that was being used at the time to write the Bible originally was Greek, and the word there is hagios, and it simply means holy ones. So a saint is a holy person. (laughs) Now, I understand there are traditions, as you mentioned, that see saints as a very special class 
of Christian. But that's not the way the Bible actually uses it, and that's certainly not the way the Apostle Paul uses it. He was writing to everyday normal Christians of his day, friends of his, people he knew, people who had a lot of faults, okay? <laughs> Even the, the Corinthian church, I mentioned before the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, they were not the most holy behaving people. They were actually a bunch of ratbags. You know, the, 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 the way they conducted themselves, they had a lot of character issues. But yet right at the start of his letter, He calls them saints. In his mind, they are holy ones because God, and the word holy simply means set apart for a special purpose. We talked about hearing from God that 20 years ago to plant a church and the different ways in which you confirmed that. But surely over the last 20 years, there's got to be other ways in which God has spoken to you and your wife as you've continued to lead that church. What are some of the other ways and the other things that you believe that God has said to you in leading that church over the last 20 years. Part of our progress as a church as we were growing up, as we first met in a community hall, but God led us to take on a shed redevelopment and we entered into a seven-day-a-week building. And that was probably around about seven or eight years into our church life. Well, in that first year of moving into that seven-day-a-week building, our income as a church didn't quite catch up. And so one of the things I had to do as lead pastor of the of the church is I just sacrificed, I think, two days of my salary. I just have to drop my income in order for the church to be able to continue to be able to rent that building and just not go into debt. Well, around about that time, I had a dream. I was in a, a friend's house and I had a dream that my acting agent Before I planted a church, I was actually into acting. That was one of the careers. Remember I said before I was at a crossroads, which career do I go down? And the other career I had was acting. And I burnt that bridge when we planted a church. I called my agent and I said, listen, we're moving. I'm um, I'm moving away from Adelaide. I can't do acting anymore. I'm going to plant a church. And she was very upset with me. Well, here I am eight years later and I have a dream that I go back to my agent, knock on her door and say, I'm going to start acting again. In the dream, she swore at me and she said, you should never have left me, but she took me on as an actor again. Well, I woke up from that dream and uh, I wondered, what do I do with this? Is God trying to, is is that just too much pizza, you know, (laughs) the night before? Is that God saying that he wants to restore an old relationship? maybe, of mine that I aren't in anymore. I just didn't know. I was saying, God, please help explain this to me. Well, a couple of weeks later, I'm having a nap during the day. I'm actually on a prayer retreat, and I have a nap during the day. And as I'm sleeping, a guy in our church, in my dreams, is knocking on the window, frantically trying to find me. And I wake up from that dream. My heart is pumping. I'm like, oh, this guy's trying to find me. How does he even know that I'm here at this holiday house? I'm on a prayer retreat. He's not supposed to know that I'm here. But I wake up and realize, oh, it was only a dream. It wasn't real. Well, I look at my phone and that guy was actually calling me at that time. As I was dreaming that he wanted to see me, he was calling my phone. It was on silent, of course, but he was actually phoning me and he was in a very, very serious life situation. And I looked at that and I said, wow, that was a literal dream that I just had. I literally was dreaming about that and it made me think about my acting agent. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and visit my agent again. And so eight years after leaving her, I literally follow that dream, believing this might be literal. I knock on her door and she swore at me and she said, you should never have left me. Are you still a priest? She says, and she put me back on her books. And within three months, I was one of her busiest voiceover talents, reading radio commercials and television commercials 
And the redemptive feature of that was that even though that year we had dropped our salary at church, the money I made through going back to my acting agent gave me and my wife one of the best financial years we've ever had. We took the kids on a holiday to Fiji. We had a great financial year because God spoke to me through a dream. It's fascinating that we see the number of different ways in which God is speaking to you and we hear of him speaking to others in various ways as well. And we humans, we love formula. We'd like to know this is how something works. We follow this formula and it works. And yet so often throughout scripture, we see there is no formula. We even see in the New Testament when Jesus is healing people, sometimes it's by doing weird things like spitting in mud, plastering that on someone's eyes and saying, go wash. Sometimes it's him touching someone. Sometimes it's someone touching even his clothes. Sometimes it's go home. I've already healed them. Why do you think it is that God chooses not to follow formulas that we could understand and just fit into that groove? Because maybe there's the temptation of humans to box God. And if he always spoke the same way, if he always operated the same way, if there was no room for mystery, I think the temptation or the tendency in us is to say, we understand him, we've boxed him, and therefore we limit God. And we say, well, if God's done it that way, then he cannot do it any other way. Again, that can't be God, and we end up limiting God. So that that could be part of the reason, Rodney. And, And the other reason is God uses different languages to speak to different people. God is multifaceted. He has created humans to be multifaceted, multidimensional, and in order to reach different types of people, God uses different types of languages. I want to jump into your book now, You Can Handle the Truth, because we've talked about different ways in which God speaks to us, and you have mentioned that God uses the scriptures or the Bible to speak to us, and that's a way of actually checking against those other ways in which we hear him, that peace, that dream, that person speaking over us, and we check that through scripture. So therefore, we've got to have a reasonable handle on scripture, and yet it's a book that is just way too hard for so many people that they say, I'm not sure where to start. I'm not sure how to deal with what I see as contradictions in scripture. How do we actually make that plain? How do we actually start to understand what's between those covers? How do we handle the truth? The title of the book, You Can Handle the Truth, doesn't actually come from a Jack Nicholson quote, as as much as some people may believe that to be the case. The quote actually comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young preacher in training, a young apprentice, a young pastor called Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, listen, mate, I want you to be a work person that doesn't need to be ashamed because you correctly handle the word of truth. Some older Bibles say rightly divide or correctly handle the scriptures. And the encouragement of the book is simply this, you can do it. If Timothy can do it as a young man who was untrained, okay, he didn't have academic training, he wasn't a scholar, he grew up with a a religious mother and it it would appear maybe a a non-religious father. If Timothy could learn to handle the scriptures as a young man, then so can you. You can do it. And you're absolutely right, Rodney. There are parts of the Bible that seem complicated, convoluted, even contradictory, but God has given us the scriptures 
to speak to us. God has given us the scriptures to be understood. And while going back to your previous question, we may not ever fully understand it because, hey, if we fully understood the Bible, then maybe we'd stop reading it. We'd stop studying it. We'd stop scrutinizing it. We'd stop digging into it if we fully comprehended it. And so even in the Bible itself, God has allowed room for mystery so that people through all generations would continue to dig and dive deeper into it. Having said that, while we may not ever plummet the depths of the wonder of God's word, God wants to communicate to us through his word, and so he has made it understandable. The Bible can be confusing. There are ways over the years that have been established in both Christian and Jewish circles, many timeless principles on handling the scripture and to do it well. The very fact that the Bible is a complex work does not mean that it's complicated. Okay, there's a difference between something being complex and something being complicated. You know, many of us have relationships or issues in life that are just complicated. Okay, the Bible's not complicated, but it is complex. It has one author, it is harmonious, it is beautiful, and it all works together. All the variety of the scripture works together well. And so, my task in this book, You Can Handle the Truth, the subtitle is actually making sense of the Bible in three simple steps. And essentially, I just take the reader step by step, very, very simple steps, encouraging people to ask questions of the Bible. I phrase those three steps in three questions and uh, encourage the reader how to read passages of Scripture, how to seek its meaning, and then how to find out how it might be applicable to you. Number one, we're to ask ourselves, well, what does the Bible say? That's a pretty Simple place to start, okay? Well, what does it say? You want to understand the Bible? You want to handle it properly? You need to work out what it says, mate, okay? So you've got to read the thing and you've got to read it well. So the first question is, well, what does it actually say? The second question is, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Because sometimes, like in relationships, just because someone says something, you may not actually catch what they mean in that okay we've all had arguments with people we love who said oh, i know that's what i said but it's not what i meant well it's also similar with the scriptures sometimes the bible will say something but we don't catch the meaning we need to really investigate what that means this happened to jesus all the time he'd say things but people misunderstood what he meant by that okay so that's the second question number one what does it say number two well what does that mean and the third question we ask is well what does it matter? Who cares? Uh, who cares if a 2,000 or 3,500 year old story is in the Bible and I know what it means? Who cares? What does that matter to me today in the 21st century? And so the technical term for this, and all the technical terms, by the way, in the book are in the end notes because <laughs> I try to make things very simple and conversational, a little bit like you and I having a conversation now. That's how the book is written. The tone is very much a mentoring discussion. So it's very light on the technical terms. But the technical term for that is called the inductive Bible study method, where you find out what the text says, what that means, and then how it matters to you and I today. And they're basically the three steps that I walk the reader through. It's a fascinating look into how we can understand the truth that is in the Bible but first of all, we've got to come to the point of believing that it is the truth, because we know that there are sacred writings from so many different religious traditions. How do we know that the Bibles that we hold in our hands today actually contain truth, or is it just the truth that we choose? Is it just, as so many people say today, this is my truth? 
How do we know that it's universal truth? Or how do we know that it's God's truth, that it is actually the Word of God? Well, the Bible is the most studied and scrutinized literary work of all time. It's actually a very complex or very big task to scrutinize the scripture and to look at how people over time have come to determine it being sacred. Uh, But one of the things is that the incredible number of prophetic promises that have come to pass that were spoken, recorded hundreds, if not thousands sometimes of years earlier and how those events actually unfolded in real time in history. And so that's one of the things that predictions that have come to pass or come about over and over again, that would be one of the reasons. So there are many reasons to which we can say, yeah, this is universal truth, this is God's truth, this is a book that is handed down to us from God and and therefore we can trust it. As we do read into it and trust it and we find different ways for God to speak to us, I guess we need to say, how do we then share that with other people without sounding like, hey, I know the truth and you don't? How can we be winsome in being able to share that with other people? Well, again, going back to where we were before about the fact that God speaks in different ways because people uh, communicate or hear things in, in different ways. When we speak to people about God's truth, we need to be very aware of who they are, who our audience is. For some people, they love historical data. They would love the fact of digging into the book of Daniel, for example, and looking at the at the prophetic, the way that uh, Daniel predicted a whole political upheavals that were hundreds of years ahead of him. And that would provide great evidence for someone who loves history and maybe is a bit of more of the analytical type. Those people who uh, maybe more of the emotional type or the life experience type of type, uh, they may not actually care that much about the historicity of the scripture. What they may need to hear is how the word of God has had an effect in your life, how the word of God has proven fruitful and has has given you guidance and leading in your life, how that scripture is actually relevant to someone today. And so uh, to your question about being winsome, I guess part of that is about discerning the type of person we're speaking to, uh, understanding that people come in all stripes and, and have different needs at different points in time. And it could just be that a testimony of you finding wisdom in God's word is the most important thing that they need to hear. And some things are only known and discerned by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Some things uh, people will never get unless and only when Holy Spirit does a work in their heart. And so no matter how much we can argue uh, the scientific or historic historicity of the scripture, and no matter how much testimony we may give on the other side of the spectrum to say, this is how much the word of God, or this is how much the Bible means to me in my life. At the end of the day, what matters most to people, uh, what matters most is that they have a revelation, they have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so one of the best ways we can communicate (laughs) with people is also to pray for their heart, that God would open their heart to receive. Jesus said, even the Pharisees of his day, the the most educated people in the Bible, they knew it back to front, this religious group of people. And he said, but you don't actually know the Bible and you don't actually know the power of God. If you really knew the scriptures, you would believe me. You don't actually have the work of God in your heart. The objective of the Bible is not actually to know the Bible. And the objective of my book, you know, you can handle the truth, is not actually getting people to know the Bible first and foremost. 
We come to know the scriptures so that firstly, we may come to know God himself. That is the ultimate purpose of humankind is to know him and that can only be done as a work through the spirit. I touched on the fact earlier that there are probably a lot of people who have followed Jesus for many years and yet they don't feel that clarity of being able to hear from God or being able to correctly understand Scripture. So a book like yours, You Can Handle the Truth, is obviously something that is going to be really a revelation for them. It's been out for a little while. What have been the responses? Have you heard from people that have had that aha moment and thought, now I can go forward in my faith? Yes, absolutely. There's been various feedbacks, including a couple of awards, international uh, book awards that the book has won since it came out in September 21. Uh, Some of the feedback comes from Bible nerds and uh, actually Bible college professors even, and uh, long-term experienced pastors, preachers, and Bible teachers. They remark about the book that it takes a really complex issue and makes it simple for the everyday reader. And so I love getting that kind of feedback because that that is exactly what I was hoping to do. when it comes to your everyday Bible reader, yes, exactly. I've had that kind of feedback where they've said, aha, for the first time, I've actually feel like someone's putting tools in my hand on how to read the Bible. And that's exactly my objective for the reader. In fact, the back of the book poses some questions. It simply says this, struggle to read your Bible on a regular basis. Do you find some parts confusing, complicated, or even contradictory? Do you wonder how to make sense of certain passages? Well, while Christians are often encouraged to study and obey the scriptures, very few are taught how. And uh, I just think that's uh, absolutely the case. Many Christians are taught in their pulpit, uh, from the pulpit of their church or growing up, the Bible's important, you must read it, you must obey it, but very few people are actually taught how. (laughs) And it's a bit like budgeting or a bit like going on a diet, you know, or exercising. Sometimes, What motivates people to get into those things is not being told they should do it. I mean, almost everybody knows they should have a good financial plan. Almost everybody knows they should eat well and regularly exercise. But sometimes the thing that people need the most is not being told what they should do, but being shown how to do it. Okay, well, how do I budget then? How do I (laughs) exercise and eat healthy? And it is showing the how that actually empowers people. And so, yes, I've really appreciated that kind of feedback uh, from both people in our church, for example, who've only been Christians for a year. They're actually very new to the Bible. They've found it extremely helpful to even people in their 70s and 80s. I've had former pastors. Retired pastors in our church who've done my video course because I've got a video course as well for the book and have read the book and they've said, I've never had this explained to me so simply about how to read the Bible. And so Christians of all stripes uh, have have remarked on that. In fact, one of my endorsees, uh, Dr. Barry Chant, he actually founded Tabor Bible College here in Australia. He said that this is a great book for both Christians new and old because no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, no matter how acquainted you are with the scriptures, we can all upskill, we can all do better in handling the Bible properly. The encouragement is you can do it, you can handle the truth and being equipped in how to do that is good for Christians no matter how much experience you have. You mentioned that so often we're told you should read the Bible, you must read the Bible regularly. And we know that to be the truth, but it's sometimes difficult if it's just something that we're told to do and we're not understanding what we're reading. So your book sets out to help us to understand what's there. But I'm also conscious that 
I've heard different descriptions of the Bible. I've heard people say that it's a Christian's rule book. I've heard people say that it's our instruction manual. And yet what you're talking about is is so different to that of just a, a list of rules or of instructions. How would you describe the Bible to people? I'll describe the Bible. Ultimately, the purpose of the scripture is to make God known to us. And it does this through a developing storyline, a historical account of God's dealings with his people over hundreds and hundreds, actually thousands of years. And so one of the ways I'll describe the scripture is God's self-revelation in written form, because it's written down, uh, within the framework of a narrative, within the framework of a story. The Bible, from beginning to end, tells one story. And ultimately, that one story is to lead us to Jesus, who is the most perfect and accurate picture of what God is like. There is nothing more important than knowing God. Jesus himself said, it's only by knowing God and knowing the Jesus, knowing the Christ whom he has sent, that people can have eternal life. There's nothing more relevant and there's nothing more important than that. Does it contain rules? Yes. I mean, there are instructions, there is wisdom, there are rules, there are commands. But you know what? God hasn't just lumped us on planet Earth and given us a rule book and said, good luck, fellas. You know, he hasn't just given us a book of rules. He has given us himself. First and foremost, God has invited us into a living relationship with him, with the Holy Spirit, God here on the earth, through his scriptures, giving us wisdom that we can come to know him better. And so the Bible is many things and there are many ways to describe it, but I would describe it ultimately as the self-revelation of God in written form presented in the framework of an unfolding narrative, an unfolding story where we can look back over history, three and a half, four thousand plus years of history and understand how God has dealt with his people. We see his nature. We see his character. It culminates in the perfect picture of Jesus. We read the Bible to find God and to discover who he is and what he is like, that we may draw near to him and that we may worship him accordingly. Ultimately, the big reveal of the Bible, the great purpose is that we would know God in enjoy him forever and worship him appropriately. Our theology, our understanding of God should always lead to doxology, which is a fancy way of saying worship. When we know who God is, it should lead us to worship him and to draw near to him. And that's the ultimate purpose of this holy book. Chad, you've mentioned a couple of times that this book is helpful for people who have known Jesus for many years or for those who are just starting to explore who he might be within their lives. If people are wanting to get a hold of this book or to contact you, where's the easiest place for them to go? Well, simply my name is Chad Mansbridge. So I have a website, chadmansbridge.com. If people want to purchase the book, then they can do that on most every book platform, Amazon and Kurong and other places, depending on where they're located. You can simply look up Chad Mansbridge or You Can Handle the Truth and it should be fairly easy to find. I also have a podcast. It's on Spotify and iTunes, YouTube as well. And very soon I'll be releasing the video course for this book as well, designed for small groups primarily, but people can do it on their own, uh, where you watch a video, read the chapters during the week, come back, discuss it with your group, and continue on that cycle for about seven weeks to work your way through the book. 
Chad, I will put links for people to find you, to find your book, to find your podcast, and where you are on social media in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. So that's an easy place to go to collect all of those. But Chad, I just want to say thank you so much for the conversation today on Bleeding Daylight. Rodney, it's been a privilege. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.